I want you to hit me as hard as you can. It's often gratifying to see a film with so much promise cash in at the box office. But sometimes a film doesn't live up to expectations, or it just didn't reach the audience it was aiming for, or any of a long list of reasons for disappointment. What if a movie had seemingly limitless potential, cherished source material, talented cast and crew, and the largest budget imaginable at the time? How could that movie, with everything going for it, ultimately become one of the all-time biggest flops in the history of Hollywood? John Carter knows the answer. Let's bound across Barsoom and find out what the fuck happened to this movie. Edgar Rice Burroughs is considered one of the greatest voices in the history of science fiction. Noted author Ray Bradbury, of Fahrenheit 451 fame, once said that Burroughs is probably the most influential writer in the entire history of the world. If you're not familiar with the name, Burroughs is probably best known for creating Tarzan, a story that became several novels, films, and TV series. But it was the same year Tarzan was released as a novel that Burroughs also delivered A Princess of Mars, the first in a science fiction series that would change how science fiction stories were told. What started as a series of magazine stories eventually became its own novel in 1912, back when sci-fi was still in its infancy. But the pulp novels written by Burroughs would inspire the genre for the next century with its fingerprints on many major properties. Fighting alongside an alien race, western themes in space, or gravity's effects on a visitor from a different planet. And then there's the Star Wars comparisons. George Lucas admits that his space adventure was heavily influenced by the work of Burroughs, and it's obvious. From barren landscapes, to a coliseum battle, to shadowy manipulators, to a familiar gold bikini, many elements of the John Carter tales were adopted for the Star Wars films. With so many stories of the genre inspired by the work of Burroughs, the question has to be asked, why did it take so long to make a John Carter film? The simplest answer is that it was just too damn expensive. There had been attempts in the past. Test footage of an animated film in 1931 wasn't enough to convince MGM, who passed because they didn't think it would appeal to a mass audience. Stop-motion animation legend Ray Harryhausen was also involved in a live-action attempt in the late 1950s, but the overwhelming scale of the project brought it to a swift end. Burroughs fans, who wanted to actually see the wild adventures of a Civil War veteran caught in the conflict between Martian city-states, had to settle for a 1970s Marvel comic series. In the late 1980s, Disney took its first shot at adapting the property, and even had Tom Cruise attached to Star. The script came from Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, the duo who went on to Disney's blockbuster Pirates of the Caribbean series. Diehard director John McTiernan was attached to take the helm. But Cruise didn't like the screenplay. McTiernan felt the visual effects available at the time were too limiting, and the budget was just too gigantic. The film would have cost Disney an estimated $120 million at the time, double the price tag of the most expensive movie made that decade, which was Rambo 3. Who would have guessed? Disney made a last-ditch effort by hiring George R.R. R. Martin to write a screenplay, back before the first volume of Game of Thrones was even published. He was assigned to work on the script with Star Trek The Next Generation writer Melinda Snodgrass. We can only imagine how that would have turned out, but in the end, Disney lost the rights. After Disney failed to produce anything, it was Paramount's turn, and the property made it into the hands of Robert Rodriguez in 2004. Rodriguez wanted to hire experienced Burroughs illustrator Frank Frazetta as a designer, and he planned to use the digital stage technique he developed for Sin City, which would help keep the cost far lower than any previous attempt. 
Things fell apart when Rodriguez left the Directors Guild of America over Frank Miller's credit on Sin City. Paramount needed a DGA-approved director, so they moved on to Kerry Conran of Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. He was followed by Jon Favreau, who was getting pre-MCU special effects experience with the space fantasy Zathora. Ultimately, Paramount also lost their chance, and the rights ended up going back to Disney. Speaking of rights, even that is convoluted. Burroughs' stories are in the public domain, which is likely why there was a no-budget Princess of Mars movie with Tracy Lords and Antonio Sabato Jr. But international copyright and trademark and merchandise is a whole big legal tangle. Anyway, while all of these writers and directors and studios were experiencing the creative struggle behind bringing John Carter to reality, a creative awakening had been taking place at a company called Pixar, with an animator-slash-storyteller by the name of Andrew Stanton. After being rejected by Disney several times, Stanton was eventually hired by Pixar's animation group as their second animator, the first being John Lasseter. Stanton would co-write and co-animate Toy Story, the studio's first feature-length film, and the first fully computer-animated movie of all time. Toy Story grossed $373 million and earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay, the first animated film ever to be nominated in the category. Stanton and Pixar followed with A Bug's Life and Toy Story 2, also huge box office successes. Stanton's career would continue to impress. He wrote Monsters, Inc. and Finding Nemo, which was also his directorial debut. He directed the Oscar-winning WALL-E and helped write Toy Story 3. By 2010, Andrew Stanton had a hand in making Disney over $5 billion. During a conversation with Dick Cook, then chairman of Walt Disney Studios, Stanton was asked what was next for him. He mentioned that the rights to John Carter of Mars were available. He explained his passion for the books, and how he considered them his Harry Potter, also noting how they'd influenced so many other cultural icons. Cook assured Stanton that Disney would back him completely to make this adaptation his first venture into live action. It was planned to be the first in a trilogy of Mars films, with even talk about a possible theme park attraction. But with a production cost of $250 million, it was the biggest budget ever at the time, so there was also tremendous risk. After decades of attempts, and almost a full century after the first novel was released, things were actually moving on an adaptation of Burroughs's famous story. The production had a vast array of locations, from England to Arizona to Utah, with a great variety of sets. The leading role went to Taylor Kitsch, who Hollywood seemed determined to make an A-list name. His fellow X-Men Origins Wolverine star, Lynn Collins, scored the role of fierce warrior princess Deja Thoris. Other humanoid roles were filled by Dominic West, James Purifoy, Brian Cranston, Kieran Hines, and Mark Strong, while four-armed aliens called Tharks were populated by Willem Dafoe, Samantha Morton, and Thomas Hayden Church. The film attempted something unique at the time, combining live-action with the most state-of-the-art CGI available. The animated Tharks were performance-captured, and when John Carter was in production, the only film that had done it on a similar scale was Avatar. But in James Cameron's sci-fi saga, humans and Na'vi actually only share the screen in a few scenes. In John Carter, the actors and CGI characters are simultaneously together on screen for much of the runtime. Shooting began in early 2010, with a release initially planned for July 2012, before Disney curiously chose to move it out of the lucrative summer season back to March. Other than the logistics and pressure of the film's scope and expense, production went fairly smoothly, and everyone involved was excited for the project. But when shooting wrapped and the movie went to post-production, different problems began to present themselves. 
A few months before the film's release, Andrew Stanton went on Good Morning America to promote the film, bringing the first teaser along with him. And after getting a look at what Stanton had been so hard at work on, fans and casual viewers alike were underwhelmed, to say the least. The trailer seemed to focus more on the song in the background than the plot. There was no mention of the filmmaker or his previous blockbuster involvement. Viewers had no idea who the main character was, and the trailer didn't even mention Mars. The negative reactions did not go unnoticed by Disney, and Stanton was quickly sent to appear on Jimmy Kimmel with a new trailer. It was only slightly better. The story was still muddled, and while it showed more action, it was still missing something. Fans were unfortunately still disappointed. One of those fans was a man by the name of Michael D. Sellers, a devoted John Carter enthusiast who has even written a book about the movie's box office failure and runs the dedicated website thejohncarterfiles.com. Sellers saw the trailer on Kimmel and thought it was absolutely appalling. He was intimate with the material and felt that Disney was dropping the ball. He actually reached out to the Burroughs estate and asked if he could meet with Disney Studios on their behalf, and surprisingly they agreed. But Disney responded to his concerns by informing him of an upcoming Super Bowl spot. The studio would pay more than $5 million for their ad, but the eyes of the world would be watching. They considered it a worthy gamble, hanging hope for John Carter on that TV spot. On February 5, 2012, as the Patriots played the Giants, John Carter got a 30-second spot during a break. Originally, what was planned was a one-minute spot, but the commercial came during an injury in the game, which meant a backup 30-second version was used. Talk about a fumble. This clip was possibly worse than the original trailer, just showing a montage of different shots that eventually formed the title, John Carter. It's considered terrible luck if your TV spot is the one that gets chosen for the injury break, so naturally John Carter just happened to get that spot. Of all the movie advertisements that played during the 2012 Super Bowl, John Carter ranked dead last. With the movie set to open a month later, Disney had a serious problem. Stanton went into damage control, tweeting a link to the full-length Super Bowl trailer, but it was too little too late. Meanwhile, Michael Sellers decided to cut his own trailer. He combined footage from every available teaser and trailer and clip, assembling what he believed to be Stanton's vision for the story. He sent it to Disney, who ignored it. So Sellers posted it to YouTube, and his cut of the trailer went viral. Even Andrew Stanton shared it on Twitter. Wired Magazine covered his cut of the trailer, pointing out that it topped Disney's best efforts to market their own film. Then The Hollywood Reporter, The LA Times, and eventually more than 200 websites covered the seller's version of the trailer. Not only did it tell a story, but it highlighted aspects that made the film special. Sellers' trailer had everything that Disney's marketing team should have used to get fans and general audiences excited for a new space epic. Unfortunately, it hit the web just two weeks before the film's release, and it would not serve as a saving grace. John Carter opened in North America on March 9, 2012, grossing just over $30 million for the weekend, placing it behind Dr. Seuss's The Lorax on its second week. Disney's expensive sci-fi release eventually made it to $73 million domestic and $284 million worldwide. Response was mixed, with some critics declaring it to be charming and fun, and others calling it a jumbled space opera. But the story doesn't end there. If you really want to know what the fuck happened to John Carter, there are many possible reasons. For example, when word got out that Stanton was doing reshoots on the movie, the press covered it as very negative, despite reshoots being a standard piece of big-budget movie making. These rumors had formed a narrative that Andrew Stanton, shooting his first film away from Pixar, just could not handle a big-budget or live-action, with an implied or overt tone that maybe he should have stayed in animation. 
Or how about the rumor that Disney had all their attention on a different space opera at the same time? While John Carter was awaiting release, Disney was working on acquiring Lucasfilm, which they announced later that year. There was speculation that Disney was willing to let John Carter tank so they could focus on their newest high-profile sci-fi property, rather than have another space franchise competing with Star Wars. Disney's statement that John Carter would lose money, announced less than two weeks after it hit theaters, would seem to lend credence to the rumor. It was estimated that the studio ended up taking a loss of $200 million on the project. Then there's the studio support. Dick Cook signed off on John Carter, and he was let go shortly after, because the higher-ups thought the Disney brand was not performing as strongly as it could be. Cook was replaced by Rich Ross, who had a long history in television. But Ross was brand new to the movie industry, and one of the projects he inherited just happened to have the largest budget of any film ever made. The financial failure of John Carter eventually led to Ross's departure. It's been said that he even somehow tried to blame the failure on Pixar, which turned Pixar executives against him, and served as the final straw in his tenure at Disney. There was also the unwieldy monster of the film's marketing. M.T. Carney was brought in as the president of marketing for Walt Disney Studios, and she was one of the first hirings under Rich Ross. Carney had marketing experience, but nothing related to the film industry, as John Carter's atrocious marketing would seem to clearly indicate. Why not John Carter of Mars, or the story's original title, A Princess of Mars? Allegedly, the marketing team was afraid to use the word Mars in the title, because of Disney's recent box office dud, Mars Needs Moms. Watching the Sellers trailer makes it even more obvious that the marketing team just didn't seem to have awareness or interest in the film they were making. In his book, Sellers insists the film tested very well with audiences, and largely failed because of the massive missteps in marketing. In the end, we're brought back to Andrew Stanton. John Carter was conceived as the beginning of a trilogy, and the movie spends a lot of time laying groundwork for sequels that would never happen. With any possibility of revisiting Barsoom behind him, Stanton returned to Pixar with Finding Dory, which would become one of the highest grossing animated movies of all time. His itch to direct live action brought his talent to television, where he has directed episodes of Stranger Things, Legion, and Better Call Saul. Ultimately, what happened to John Carter was a series of unfortunate events, including a gargantuan budget, shifting studio executives, and mishandled marketing. The rights to the property are apparently once again held by the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate, so John Carter fans can only hope that someone in the future will take us back to Mars. Thank you for watching. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We are an independent company, and we appreciate your support.